And you know, they say to you know to raise a child takes a village. Well, I, I think the same is true to, to raise a business. You've got to have people around you. And so I think some of the agility and some of the adaptability comes from the kind of people you've got around you or where you get your inspiration from. But the question is always the same. Okay, well then what do you believe what do you lean on or what do you believe in? Because there's got to be something else to help keep you focused. And I think when you don't have that focus or you don't have that support, I think those are the first ones to say, you know what? This is too hard. I'm packing it and I'm giving up. Welcome to the 100 CEO Project Podcast. So hi, guys. Welcome back to the 100 CEO Project. We're super geeked to have Mike Thacker, who has his own podcast, by the way. I want to start off with something a little personal. It seems to me that you are also a Dr. Seuss fan. Very, very small bit. But yes, we did quote him in a recent podcast. Right. That's one of my favorite quotes. So I'm going to give it back to him, right? Today, you are you. That's truer than true. And there's no one alive more you than you. And I think that's fitting in doing this interview because looking at your professional trajectory, you are somebody who's been true to yourself. And I believe in doing so has achieved great success and been able to help others by honoring who you are. So again, super excited. And I'm going to let him know who you are real quick and then we'll dive in. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay, cool. Uh, Mike Thacker is a chief executive officer of Work Lodge, an office workspace company that provides beautiful private offices and co-working solutions in Houston, Dallas, and Tampa. If you haven't seen them, they also have cool slides on the inside. <laughs> Work Lodge also directly benefits uh, your nonprofit, which is the Gabrielle Project, or the Gabriel Project we say in English, right? Sorry right. about that, a little Spanish involved. Which right. is focused on providing homes for orphan kids, support for victims of human trafficking, and also feeding families who are in need. Um, and as I mentioned earlier at the top, you've got your own podcast. It's called The Mike Thacker Show. So people, when you jump off of here, go over there. And you're hosting conversations around the intersection of people, profit, and purpose. Well, I'm buckling my seatbelt because we're about to talk about commercial real estate. And that's been like a ooh for everybody this year. <laughs> So, Mike, we want you to tell us a little bit about some of the ongoing challenges that you're facing this year, right, 2020, and some of the tools and strategies that you're using to guide Work Lodge through all of this turbulence. Yeah, so I think, obviously, commercial real estate is is one of those industries that clearly has cycles and goes up and down when the economy is doing well, everybody wants to leave space and you know, life is great, but it's not doing so well. The, the inverse is also true. And so I think as an industry, we're probably... We're probably in the, you know, the worst of it in some ways. I sure wish I was in the residential real estate market right now because that's booming and booming and going. But that said, um, we're slightly nuanced because it's not just the real estate, but there's also this aspect of um, our spaces are very flexible and so they're very scalable, which which is a little bit more immunity for a small business compared to the traditional seven-year lease, five-year lease, ten-year lease, that kind of thing. So you've definitely seen some challenges and we've definitely taken some hits, but I don't know that it's been quite as bad as a traditional commercial landlord you know, would be experiencing. And so I think um, as we look to the future and everybody's got different ideas about what the future is going to look like, we're supremely excited that we're in this space because we, we built a very conservative business um, we have no debt. We, we, we bootstrapped from the beginning and we were purposeful in not raising venture capital, that kind of thing. So we can go as long as the piggy bank stretches, but um, at least we don't have the added pressure of, um, you know, debt payments and, and balloons and those kind of things that sometimes people have to deal with. 
Um, but I think we're most excited about the fact that for us, COVID has proved our model and it's proved our business. And so, you know, we were, we were evangelizing years ago. Why would any small business want to go sign a five-year lease or a 10-year lease? Why would you want, you, you don't own the space anyway. You know, nobody really owns commercial real estate. Even the big boys don't own it. It's the banks, it's the lenders, the guys with the real money. And so why lock yourself in? How can you project where your company is going to be in three years time? In, in this day and age with the internet, with the speed that business just moves, I don't know, I, I, I can't even predict where I'm going to be in three years, you know, and I've been doing this for a while. How does a newer business deal with that? And so we've been evangelizing and singing the song that this kind of flexible model makes so much more sense. You don't put yourself in risk. You don't put yourself in a position where you're paying for space you don't need because you think you might need it in the future when you grow. And the op opposite obviously is true as well. You don't buy too little space and then you've got nowhere to grow because the rest of the building's full and the landlord can't sell you anymore. And now what do you do? Separate the team and all the other kind of things. And then you've got the challenges that, you know, I think people, the longer this goes on, are going to be more accustomed to not wanting to commute. Well, our very first location was built in the suburbs. We don't, we don't actually like downtown locations particularly. We'd rather be away from them. We've got one that is a downtown you know, a couple that are in the verbs, but we're big believers in give people some time back. It's the thing money can't buy. So let them work closer to home, give them the corporate campus amenities, give them the environment that's professional, but but do it do it close by. And so as painful a year as 2020 has been for us, it's it's really the first time we haven't seen growth, you know, but we've seen, you know, some some kind of shrinkage. And at the same time, we're so excited about you know 2021, 2022, because if, if this didn't prove to most small businesses that they should not be going signing long leases, then I don't know what will. Um, this is the absolute epitome of, of, why, of why our space makes so much sense. So have you guys seen increased growth um, at your space there in 2020? Yeah, so I, I, think, I think overall we're probably negative. Um, when I look at the occupancy rates, um, you know, thankfully, not many of our companies actually have failed and shut down. We've definitely seen a few folks say, hey, we've got to cut the budget. We need to shrink the space we've got. Or, you know, we're going to go work from home for a little while and we want to duck out of this. Um, but only only maybe a handful or less have actually completely folded. And that was that was our big worry, just because of the relationships we built with, you know, these members and these folks that were around every day serving. Um, but yeah, overall, I think we're probably, you know, a little, a little down on revenue compared to previous years. But again, compared to, I think, others in our industry and commercial landlords in general, I think we've, we've fared pretty well. So I've definitely seen quite a few co-working spaces close the doors. I was with somebody yesterday in Dallas who was touring our space and she's the last one left in her existing co-working space. Everyone else is gone. They've shut the doors and, you know, she's basically got a couple of weeks to, you know, kind of scoot out and, and find a new home. So I feel terrible for folks who were, who were dealing with that because that's their dream. And, you know, that was their baby that they were building. Um, so when I look at that, it makes me feel better that even a little bit of negative is still a positive. Andre, it looks like you have a question. I see you over there. It's like, oh, I was just thinking about, about how do you stay optimistic in the face of that? Because we're, we're not the end of this thing, right? So what right. personally keeps you so optimistic? Well, it's funny you say that. So the three things that I've got, because I know we're talking today about, you know, the tools that we're leaning on to get through this. And, and, and the first one I've got is, is that optimism. And I don't know that I'm naturally an optimistic person. I think it's something I've had to learn and develop over time. But um, I think as a business leader or as a CEO, if you're not optimistic, I don't, I don't know how you can run a business. You've got, you've got to look for something to be optimistic about. And I was reading um, 
I'm reading a book by Andy Grove, who was the founder of Intel, and he wrote this book called High Output Management, which apparently is like a legendary book. And I'm a little behind the curve because I only came across it a little while ago on my bookshelf. And one of the comments that, that he makes in there, um, he was interviewed by somebody after the dot-com bust. And they asked him the question, Andy, why did all of these CEOs not see this coming? How, how are all these guys running all these kind of, you know, multi-hundred million dollar businesses, how could none of them see this happening? And he said, look, he said, as a CEO, you're, you're trained and you're expected to see the optimistic future, that the rose-tinted spectacles live and exist, if you like. And if you don't see it that way, how are you ever going to lead and grow a company? Because you're going to be second guessing everything you ever do, and you're going to you're not going to you're not going to take the risk you need to take. So it's understandable that, that they would see it, or that rather that they wouldn't see it, because that's the blind spot of, of a CEO and a leader. And I just thought that was a really interesting comment, because um, as a small business owner, that's what I'm trying to live with now. And look, I, you know, I definitely don't have great moments every moment of every day. Um, plenty of plenty of moments that are, are quite the opposite, but. We've got to train ourselves to recognize we believed in the business at the beginning. We believed it made a lot of sense. You know, we're in a situation now that, in our opinion, is proving that we were right with what we've been saying. So we ride out the storm, we ride out the wave, whatever we want to call it, and we make sure we're well positioned for the future. And if if we if we did it right, you know, when we really did build something that that has some value and has some meaning to people, it, it's going to flesh itself out the right way, and we're going to come out, you know, a whole lot stronger on, on the backside. So. Time is going to prove it. Well, it's that vision that you have as well. I think a CEO is your responsibility to create a vision that people can live into for your team because you can't have everybody working at just whatever they think it should be, right? So, so what vision are you creating right now for Work Lodge? So I think I think for us, um, you know, fundamentally the DNA hasn't changed, and I think the outcome hasn't changed of where we where we believe we're headed. You know, we set out to build a business that um, could fund a nonprofit and make a difference in, in the world. And so our timeline is workspace changing lives. And I don't think that's changed. We're still working on projects. You know, the staff and I, you know, we still talk about ways that we can do something meaningful. We may be doing them a little bit less this year, um, just practically because obviously there's investment involved. But, um, you know, overall for us, I don't know that our vision's particularly changed because of COVID or not. It's not like we've had to pivot and completely change our business model. We've definitely had to adapt and, and accept a few things that maybe we, we wouldn't have done in the past. Um, you know, we're trying to be a lot more helpful to folks looking for some short-term temporary solutions, which is not really what we were built around because it's hard to make this investment and pay it back, um, you know, on that kind of a business model. But but we also want to recognize there's a lot of folks having a tough time and we want to try and serve them as much as we can, uh, you know, within the parameters of still running a, a healthy and profitable business where possible. So I'm going to back us up just a little bit. We're talking about some tools and strategies that you're using to get through this, to navigate the turbulence. Optimism being the first, do you have a couple more nuggets to share with us? Yeah, I do. So I think if optimism is the first one, then I think I think learning to deflect uncertainty is the second for us. Um, we're definitely in an uncertain time because we don't really know, is there going to be a vaccine? Is it really going to work? You know, is this going to be how life is for, you know, for three, four, five years? We just don't know. And so again, where I try and develop and train this kind of mindset of seeing the optimistic output um, that could happen in the future if everything goes the way we, we hope and expect it to, I've also got to develop and train um, you know, that mental kind of agility to say, I can't allow the uncertainty to come in and start shaping decision 
definitely, again, we need to adapt and, and evolve to make the business make sense, but it can't come from a place of fear where we're so scared of the uncertain future that we're letting fear start to dictate what we do. Because I think at that point, we're, we're not guiding the ship anymore. The, the storm is. And that's not going to get us where we want to go. It's going to get us to where the storm wants to take us. And I don't know that I want to go where the storm wants to take me. I want to go to where I'm supposed to be going. And if I can't get there at some point, I got to make a decision. Okay, then maybe this isn't you know the right business and maybe it's not for today. And I'd rather do that where I'm still in control and I'm still leading and making a choice rather than letting that choice be made for me because you know fear and uncertainty took me down a path that still ended up being catastrophic for the business, if that makes sense. And then the third one, I think, is, is you know, a word I've used a couple of times, agility. Um, again, we're a small business. You know, we don't have this figured out. We're, we're still working super hard every day trying to figure out how to do this well, how to do it better. But I think as, as any business um, will probably relate to being able to be agile, being able to evolve, being able to adapt, being able to um, tweak and, and, and kind of polish as you go along, I think in times like this where we just don't know, and even now it's so different than three months ago. So even the things we were trying three months ago, now we're trying something different because I think a lot of people are in a different place mentally. And, and ultimately I think that's that's the reality is, I don't know that COVID's causing as much damage as the mental state of the customers we serve. Really that's that's the thing we're trying to overcome because some people think it's, it's all hoo-ha and it's a conspiracy theory and everything's you know, just fine. And other people think, no, it's, you know, it's a pandemic and the world's going to end and I can't come within 25 feet of you and I need, you know, three face masks on a shield. And somehow we've got to be able to serve all those people and make them all feel great, make them all feel like they want to do business with us and, 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 and obviously keep the business moving forward. And so uh, a good friend of mine uh, here in Houston owns um, some restaurants and they're kind of, I wouldn't say they're high-end dining, but they're definitely more than casual dining, you know, kind of on the higher-end side. And he was very quick to pivot and go from um, in, um, you know, in restaurant dining to uh, food delivery, which they'd never done before, uh, pre-packaged meals, and they got them into the Kroger's and, and, and the kind of HEB type grocery stores pretty quickly. And, um, and I think that was, you know, that was an incredibly prescient move for them Obviously, they've still got the restaurants, they've still got the leases and everything else. But to go from that that mid to higher level dining experience to something completely different, you know, very, very quickly, they obviously felt like they needed to, to be able to, you know, to keep things going and, and keep as many staff on as possible. And I think that's a great example of their core business is the same. They cook great food for people. They're just now delivering it in a different kind of an environment. It's fantastic. So up till now, we've got three tools, right? Or strategies, optimism, deflecting uncertainty, yeah. and agility. Yeah. I'm curious about what, what makes entrepreneurs able to be resilient. I mean, is it just that innate thing that makes you be an entrepreneur in the first place that allows you to pivot so quickly? Because I think some restaurant owners, they've said they're going to close. And so that was a really great example. Um, is it just, do you have like an innovation loop going all the time? Or like, how do you, how do you pivot so quickly and be nimble? So I don't know. Um, I don't know if I've got a good answer for that or not. I think one of the things that I think about a lot, and we did an episode recently on the on the podcast. I'm going to plug my own podcast there for a second. But my wife and I did a, an episode on the show, and we talked about support and how valuable and important it is for an entrepreneur to have a support network and a support infrastructure. 
around them as they go on this journey. And even pre-COVID, you know, forget forget the crazy pandemic and everything else. Just just going out and leaving a regular paying job to go and launch something from nothing and maybe self-fund it, maybe get some money from somebody else. But that takes a certain personality. Um, but even then, it takes people behind them. I think I think Jeff Bezos is a great example. Mackenzie did pretty well, um, you know, through the separation. And, and the reason for that was because they they recognized that he couldn't have built Amazon without Mackenzie being there with him, whether she was officially titled in the role or not. You know, she supported him when they moved across country and, you know, he had no paycheck coming in and that kind of thing. And, and I think many entrepreneurs have probably got stories similar to that. And so we talked about it a lot on the show because I think people underestimate what it takes um, you know, they say to, you know, to raise a child takes a village. Well, I, I think the same is true to, to raise a business. You've got to have people around you. And so I think some of the agility and some of the adaptability comes from the kind of people you've got around you or where you get your inspiration from. So one example, um, you know, for those who've, who've maybe not looked at my, my history. So I'm a, I'm a person of faith. And so I used to be a preacher in years gone by. And so some of my inspiration or some of my direction comes from the faith that I have. Um, and I'll lean on that um, when I'm not sure because because it's part of who I am. And, and obviously not everybody believes the same as me and, and that's their choice. But but the question is always the same. OK, well, then what do you believe? What do you lean on or what do you believe in? Because there's got to be something else to help keep you focused. And I think when you don't have that focus or you don't have that support or you don't have some other things and some of the people around you, I think those are the first ones to say, you know what, this is too hard. I'm packing it and I'm giving up because they can't see past that negative. And now they've let that fear and that uncertainty start to come in. And now that's driving those decisions for them, where I think the folks who've got the encouragement, they've got the support around them saying, you know what, no, it's gonna be okay. We can still do this. What else could you be trying? What else could you be thinking about? Um, you know, you look around at your friends and those people you've got influence, you know, in your life. And hopefully you've got, you know, friends that can encourage and inspire um, and, and keep you motivated rather than uh, a lot of kind of Debbie Downers who are having a pity party with you because that's that's not going to get you anywhere, right? And I think we all know that. So um, talking about people who are in your corner, who are supportive um, and belief systems that also serve as a backbone for you in times that are tough, right? Um, I think we read a little bit about your wife, um, Inda, right. who's on the show with you. And if I recall, she, she was quite the support and has been on a number of changes you guys have made, one being the move from the UK over here to the US. Um, can you describe a little bit of how she was a support to you guys when you first started out? Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, Linda and I were babies when we got married and, you know, we joke about this a lot, but I think we both really appreciate the fact that we've been able to grow up together and, and live life together. So for both of us, um, I think what's unique or, or nice is there's not really any memorable life experience as an adult that we haven't shared or been around in some way, shape or form. And so that's been great from a support perspective, because then if, you know, if there is some doubt or there is some uncertainty creeping in or there's questions in the mind, um, it may be that there has been a previous experience that has helped prepare me for that situation or helped shape or guide my, um, you know, my thought processes that maybe I'm not thinking about. Uh, but because Linda's been around me for so long, she can help remind me of those things um, and we can kind of work together. Um, obviously, we moved countries. We actually moved countries twice. So we, um, we moved the first time in 2001 for a couple of years and we went back to the UK 
and, uh, and then we came back in 2007 and um you know it wasn't just my idea obviously it was something that we, we discussed together and both kind of thought about but um i think i think probably it was me that maybe was was more in favor of it um definitely the second time after we had a couple of babies um and, and maybe even the first time i don't know it was a little while ago uh, but i think one of the one of the great qualities linda's had is she's managed to understand me very well um, from a, an early stage and so she knows that if i do have these crazy ideas or um or these um these crazy business ideas depending on what it is and um, there's usually a lot of thought and intentionality that's gone in behind it and so she'll give me that benefit of the doubt to think through that with me and um, and and you know together we'll work through it um, and i think i think some people don't have that certainly certainly that's been my experience here and again it's something that, I talked about one of the episodes and um, I know one of the folks that worked out at one of my locations had the complete opposite where, you know, he and his wife ended up getting divorced because of the business um, because she gave him an ultimatum to, to drop it or she was going. And, and for me, that's just so far removed from anything I've ever experienced or would think about. Um, but for him, that was his reality. And, um, you know, he's moved on from that and, and rebuilt his life and everything. But, there's a very broad spectrum there for sure. Well, I was just going to say that my husband will come home after he listens to this episode and nudge me because he's been a long suffering entrepreneur's husband for a long time. So I can appreciate that. And while you're talking, I was thinking about him a little bit. I was like, oh, he's been pretty good because, you know, never threatening divorce even when things don't always go right. Right. Um, Mike, you recently joined the Guinness Book of World Records. Is that right? <laughs> it is right. Correct. I have to hear that story. <laughs> okay, so it was it, it, it is a genuinely a funny story, right? So, um, so we, I had this podcasting bug for a little while and, and kept trying to put it off. And you know, I'd rather I'd rather I'm very happy just just being behind the scenes. And you know, I'd I'd rather make like a fake personality and get some kind of models, you know, mugshot and just just create a false profile, and, and that could be me, and I'd be fine with it. But anyway, so we noodled on this idea of a podcast for probably about a year or so. And then, you know, things started to fall into place. And um, we had a podcast production company that actually moved into uh, my Dallas location. And, you know, we got we got friendly and we got talking and, and Keith who runs it, he's an awesome guy. And so then, you know, I mentioned this, this idea about podcasts. Like, oh yeah, you should do it. You know, we could do this, you could do that. You know, let me help you. And so um, so we, we, we got it all going and, and we started to do a couple of recordings from episodes. And, and then um, a group held a, a podcast conference um, out of my one of my Houston locations back in February, March. And so I got to meet a bunch of folks there in the podcasting world, um, one of whom was a lady called Misty Phillip, and she was the organizer of the event. So we fast forward to um, summertime, and Misty reaches out and says, hey, I'm involved in this, um, in this upcoming conference called PodFest. It's like their big yearly expo, and, um, and they're looking for speakers. And, and she was doing a faith-based track, and so I spoke at one of the sessions and, um, you know, with Misty and the PodFest guys, well, PodFest were going for a Guinness World Record to have the most attendees at, um, you know, at an online, you know, podcasting event or whatever it was. And so um, they, they, they got through by three, I think. Um, they needed to hit at least 5,000 and they, they came in at 5,003, I think was the final count of folks that like it, in the, the event. And so, um, you know, because of that, I was uh, I was able to get you know a little certificate, and uh, I've got it in my office there. And yes, uh, I'm, I'm I think I'm officially a Guinness World Record. Well, that's what it said. Um, <laughs> yeah, nice. so, uh, I was pretty cool. <laughs> that's I had no idea that you could have it. Was it a Zoom or? 
So, so yeah, so the, the sessions were, were pre-recorded. Okay. Um, but obviously the, the event was live. They just, they wanted to limit technical issues and, and difficulties from the presenters. So we pre-recorded the video and then, you know, published it live, but we were there live while it was happening. And um, so we could chat and everything else. So it was, it was probably a smart move. It was actually easy to be able to engage because you're not actually standing there talking at the same time. Very cool. I mean, some things that I would like to know about, for example, um, early experiences that might have influenced or shaped the way you approach business or work culture? Uh, that's a big question. So, you know, I've, I've had a pretty varied life, I think, from a professional perspective, um, sales manager for, you know, a billion dollar company, um, selling to the government, obviously the, the boutique security uh, in the world of, of, you know, very successful people and, and, and wealthy folks, kidnap, ransom, all that kind of fun stuff. And I think it's hard to pinpoint, um, you know, a single example of, hey, this helped shape that. But I can tell you that in my days as a sales uh, manager, I started off at that company just as a regular sales guy on the floor and, you know, did pretty well at it, got promoted a few times. Um, there was one uh, manager who definitely, I think, stands out. Uh, his name was John. And um, I think he saw something in me before I saw it in myself, but he was willing to give some time um, and give some energy to kind of help try and shape that and mold that. You know, none of us, none of us are islands. Yeah, we don't get here on our own. We all, we all have people who pour into us. We all have people who, whether advertently or inadvertently, have, have helped to, to shape the direction that we think on certain things or the direction that we take on certain things. And I think for me, he's probably one of the earlier ones I can remember in a professional capacity. Um, you know, he was very good at what he did. He was very successful. And so it was easy for me to listen to him and try and learn from him and, um, you know, I, I, we, were, we, were, we were chatting the other day on, on LinkedIn. So, you know, 20 years later, we're still in touch. So it was pretty cool. Cool. Would you like to share anything about the Gabriel Project before we wrap? Uh, okay, Gabriel Project. Yeah, I mean, you know, in a nutshell, the goal was, look, there's, there's people groups who really can't help themselves. Um, and we want to focus on those. So kids is an, is an easy one, specifically orphan children, built some orphanages out in India, trying to think of some better ways that we can help beyond that. The clean water wells um, obviously helped with that as well. Uh, and then victims of human trafficking was was the second kind of focal point for us, or women in abusive situations. Um, it's hard because we're very small um, and we want to be very impactful. So we, we stay very narrow and focused and try and, and deliver projects that we can kind of get the most bang for our buck. If that sounds you know correct, where we really want to make a tangible difference. So we, um, you know, we don't we don't really get involved in education or activism and those kind of things. We'd rather be rolling your sleeves on the ground. How can I how can I help this person get from here over here as safely as possible, as quickly as possible, and and then encourage them and inspire them to a better life for the future. And, and that's that's what we're kind of still working on. So, awesome. Is there any place people can go to learn more, not only about you and your work at Work Lodge, but also about the Gabriel Project? Yeah, so mikepacker.com, um, from there, you can link to the Gabriel Project, you can see the podcast, you can see work lodges, it's all kind of in, in one place and it feeds off, so that's probably the best place to go. Guys, Mike Backer, bazillion thanks to you. Thanks for taking time out in your day. I want to remind everybody of something um, that I believe is a tremendous piece of wisdom that you shared on your own show, the Mike, the Mike Thacker Show, pardon me, my THs and SHs today, okay. and that is to learn from others. And that's why we're here on this podcast is so that you guys, the leaders, can learn from others, but as you say, to not want to become somebody else, be who you right. are. 
um, tremendous example. And again, it was a pleasure to, to learn from you and to talk with you. No, thanks so much for having me on the show. You guys have been awesome. Cool. Thanks so much. Hey guys, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, please share it with your friends and colleagues who also have to navigate this leadership stuff. As you can see, this project is about to be a mini masterclass in every episode. Best part, it's free. So if you like it, please do us a favor and take a screenshot, share it on social with the hashtag 100CEO. That's 100CEO. That way we can say thanks and share it in our stories. And finally, if you've got some insights you'd like to share and you're a CEO, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us at 100ceoproject.com or on LinkedIn at the 100ceoproject. Until next time, keep leading by example.